Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. Church, you can have a seat. Our world and our lives have changed. Yet in the midst of all this change, our mission, our vision, and our calling remain the same. Greenville Oaks remains focused on the mission to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. We want to be a church that not only cares for our members, but also cares about our community because this mission and vision is larger than our building. So we're rolling out our new community focus. This is not just a response to the pandemic, but is our long-term initiative for serving our community. It's called For Collin County. So we invite you to join us this March as we truly step out of our church to be a church that is for Collin County. Let's all step out of our comfort zones and into our communities. Let's be a church that truly loves our neighbors, has an impact on our cities, and loves all people for Christ. Let's be a church for Collin County. Exciting, isn't it? Yeah. How many of you have already picked up your envelope? Anybody? Yeah? It's amazing, isn't it? I think it's uh, pretty wonderful when church says, we're just going to do this. We're just going to set the church free to just spend a month thinking about how to do some good things. And, uh, and everybody's going to kind of start off with the same amount. And if somebody wants to add something to the amount they get, they can. But if, you know, some of the families that get this money, that's, that's a lot of money. And uh, that's good. So good. So good. And I, I like the idea of stepping from one comfort zone into another. I, first service, you may have to go back and look at first service. There was a little uh, conversation that I had with Matt Mazza. He was at the back door and I was up here and we were. But the way that ended up, I think, is like this. In, in a lot of ways, during the pandemic, we had to pull our wings in. We had to pull ourselves in. We were at home. We were online. We were gathering here. We were uh, wearing masks at times. We were keeping social distance, which is not really our style to keep that kind of distance from folks. Anyway, so, so in a way, uh, this march is kind of a coming out party. It's kind of a uh, uh, coming out of the cave at the end of hibernation and looking around and finding out that it's spring and it's time to, to meet folks. It's time to find people where they are. And this is just a great opportunity. I appreciate the leadership of the church, the vision for this, the audacity of it. And uh, I'm already imagining some of the wonderful places that you will go and, and the things that you will do. And... Uh, We'll say some more about that here in a minute. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. 
Um, I do want to lead us in prayer uh, as we begin, uh, specifically about the Ukraine. Um, I am sort of emotionally fragged by the, the, the pictures that come out of there. Uh, the one yesterday that showed uh, a quilt all wrapped up uh, around a little boy who was 18 months old who had um, died in the way of the violence. And uh, it's about the same time that I saw that, I was playing with my 18-month-old grandson, riding the escalators at the Galleria, which is what 18-month-old little boys ought to do. They shouldn't be having to run, to hide, to be vulnerable. So uh, that's kind of down in my gut today. So let's pray. Lord, Lord, mercy. Lord, mercy. Mercy, Lord. Pray for your hand to rise against those who do evil and call it good. who speak lies and call it truth, who are proud of the things they should only be ashamed of. Mercy, Lord. Mercy. We pray for those who are on both sides of those battle lines Russian soldiers sent where they should not have been sent to do things they can hardly imagine themselves doing that will fill their lives with shame for the rest of their lives. For the Ukrainians who are defending their home and watching it be shattered around them. For the wives and children. For the old grandmas and grandpas. Mercy, Lord. Mercy. We don't have words for all of it. But we know it in our innards as we, with groanings that are beyond words, pray through the holy and blessed Spirit to you. Mercy, Lord, in the name of Jesus. So, all this is going on in the world now, and it's awful. But in my reflection on all that's going on in the world, and it's just awful, I've been reminded that during the first century, there was an awful lot 
of awful. Uh, that time uh, that the New Testament is written in is generally called the Pax Romana, the P-A-X, the peace, the peace of Rome. And it's called that because there were sort of not many great wars. And it was because the Roman military machine was so vicious and so present all around the Mediterranean basin that everybody was held locked down in fear. It could not be called peace. Not really. It was not Eden. It was a truce of the oppressed and the captive under the thumb of the free and the strong. And, and so the, the church and the teaching of the church, the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles did not take place in an atmosphere of freedom. It took place in an atmosphere of control and military oppression. This was not the, the righteous song of the free that we heard from Paul and Peter, Jesus. There were pockets where you might have a little latitude, but your latitude ended where Roman might began. And so what do you do if you're the church of the body of Christ if you're the church that's in the world to do the kingdom work of God, if you are, in some terms, a missional church, if you're a church on a mission, if you have been sent to do a certain kind of ministry and work, then how do you do it? In an atmosphere of aggression and oppression and control and military might. You know the stories the, that are just kind of flung out in the Gospels. You know, Jesus says, do you think, in Romans 13, do you think that those people who were killed by Pilate and had their blood mixed with their sacrifices were any more evil than you? He did what? Pilate did what? And so, Paul writes to Titus. And he writes this letter, and in this letter he says, here's what I want you to do on the island of Crete. This is how we change the world. I want to read the text that's at the heart of the lesson today, and then I'm going to read the text around it, 
and then say a little bit to go with that. The text is from Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. There's a reason why this little series for March, kind of my farewell address, <laughs> is called the doing good church. Because Paul writes to Titus and says, all of this grace, all of this sacrifice, all of this mercy in the aura of the glory of our worship this morning, all of these chains broken, so that God might prepare for himself a people eager to do what is good. But there's more to it in Titus than that, so we're going to do a little Bible study in Titus. Verse 3 in chapter 1, Paul says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left and unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he talks about elders and what they ought to be like. And then he, he says in verse 8, uh, rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who's self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, one who loves what is good. Why is that important? Well, if you read down a little bit further, he says, on Crete, there are some wild and unbridled people. He says, one of their own prophets has said, verse 12, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons, fat, evil liars. It's interesting when your poets write about you that way. The, this is a, a land where you can't trust anybody. You can't trust that the truth is going to be told. You can't trust if the deal is going to be straight. You can't trust if a fight will not break out. You can't trust that peace will rule. You can't trust the people on Crete. So Paul says, the way to be seen as different is be a good lover. Be someone who loves what is good. In the beginning of chapter 2, he says about women, in verse 3, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. In verse 6, Paul says to Timothy, 
Encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. You are going to show these Cretan young men a new kind of way to live. You're going to be good. And then you have this wonderful piece that we just read. That God has done all he's done in Christ to purify himself of people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. He's not through. Five times now he's talked about doing what is good. But at the beginning of chapter 3, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. And then he reloads his grace and mercy canon and writes this beginning in verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been saved, justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have, been, who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And then in verse 14, as he's signing off the letter, Paul says, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Now, if you've got three little short chapters, and in those three little short chapters, you mentioned doing good eight times, it makes you think there's a theme. And you don't want to miss it. Isn't it amazing that the call is to do good? I mean, I don't want to be rude, crude, or otherwise socially unacceptable, but he doesn't mention preaching as you need to go out and do a lot of preaching. Obviously an oversight. He doesn't say, you need to put out a lot of doctrinal statements. You need to write a big piece of paper and hang it on your door about all the things you're for and against and, and, and get all wrapped up and righteous about it. He's for righteousness. He says he is. He's for things that you ought to do and against some things you shouldn't do, but he doesn't emphasize he assumes that the reason you are not doing some things and choosing to do some other things is so that you can go out and be and do the good. Now, now this doing good is not in order to be saved. He says it twice. Beautiful passages, one in chapter 2 and one in chapter 3. He says that, that this 
Christ has come because of the mercy of God. This Christ has come. And, and now we have been saved. We have been sanctified. The, the Holy Spirit has, has come upon us. We have been put in a place where we are being transformed by the work of God in us, by the Holy Spirit. And all of this is God's grace. Some people think that, you know, you, you're going to do good, and if you do enough good, you do more good, and you keep piling up the good, and pretty soon you've done enough good that you're saved. You do, do enough good works that you are saved. But you may remember we preached through Ephesians chapter 2 and said that, that we are not saved by works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by grace through faith. But we are, in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, we are created in Christ to do the works God has prepared for us to do. We are not saved by our works, but saved people do the good. I don't know what the good looks like to you. I, I think the good is positive. I don't think it's good necessarily when you're just not as mad as you used to be. When I was in Russia several years ago, I was in Rostov-on-Don, which is about 50 or 60 miles from the eastern border of Ukraine. But, but while I was there, I was visiting with some of the missionaries and Christians that were there in the church, and, and, and they had, had said, this is a hard place, that in this place, in, in Russia, uh, a good husband, a, a good prospect for a husband is a man who is not drunk every day and doesn't beat you too often. That's a catch. We had a, a, a biology professor at ACU. He was a, a lovely Chinese man. He was a great man. His wife was made out of kryptonite. She was so strong. She was so good. And every, every summer, they would go back to China and go secretly through China and offer classes in the Christians in China on how to love your husband or your wife and how to love your children. Because in that culture now, after so many years of communism, husbands and wives have no clue what loving each other means. And what does it mean to love a child? So there is a need in the world for people to know and teach the good. It's the salt. It's the light. It's the path. It's the kingdom. We're going to talk more about what it means and how we choose the good. But it is this good that conquered Rome. The Romans... They hated the Christians for so long. 
for 300 years. But finally, they noticed that the Christians were the best people among them. They were the ones who were gathering up the orphans to raise them. The Christians were the ones who were staying during the plagues to minister to the sick. The Christians were the ones who were feeding the hungry. The Christians were the ones. Finally, they just couldn't kill their best people anymore. And this power that intimidated the world was finally conquered by those willing to do the good. So we're called upon to be the doing good church. And these little things that you do with this money, the things you decide to do in your family, around your table, these are the things of righteous revolution. These are things filled with the power of God. Christ, we do all adore Thee, and we do praise Thee forever. Christ, we do all adore Thee, and we do praise Thee forever. For on the holy cross hast Thou the world from sin redeemed. Christ, we do all adore Thee, and we do praise Thee forever. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.